All right. <clears throat> Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Paul, one of the pastors here at New Life Press, and it is my joy uh, to bring to you God's Word this morning. Uh, we are currently on a sermon series called Encounters with Jesus, where we are exploring various passages in the New Testament where someone encounters Jesus for the first time, and we're going to see how their lives are transformed in one way or the other. And this morning, we come to one of the most famous passages of the Bible that even many non-Christians would know because it's written on the bottom of the cup of in and out John 3:16. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John chapter 3 verses 1 through 16. And if we could all stand as an act of worship, um, and please give your undivided attention as we read God's most holy and perfect and necessary word for all of us here this morning. This is God's word for you. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray one more time. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts now to really receive your word. Lord, we are hungry for so many things, but Father, we ask that you would remind us of the hunger for your word and the thirst of your presence in our lives. So God, be with our uh, hearts as we receive the good news today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a lot to unpack here in these, in these verses, and the theme that I want to focus on this morning is actually the theme of new birth, being born again. And I want to make a case this morning, church, that when you and I truly and actually encounter the real Jesus, the true and living Son of God, the result must be new birth. You must be born again. And I have four questions regarding our theme of new birth this morning. First, We'll ask the question, who needs to be born again? And secondly, what is being born again? And then thirdly, how are you born again? And then lastly, how do you know that you are born again? Right? Who needs to be born again? What is being born again? How are you born again? And lastly, how do you know that you're born again? So first, who needs to be born again? To answer this question, we need to look at the character of Nicodemus. First, John 3, verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees 
Nicodemus was a Pharisee. I think for many of us who grew up in the church, this word Pharisee is almost like a turnoff, isn't it? You don't want to be called a Pharisee. If someone tells you, you serve so much in the church, you do all these good things, you're such a Pharisee, you don't think that's a compliment. Because Pharisees, as we know, are self-righteous, hypocritical people. But for the people of John's time, Pharisees actually were the opposite. They were the most respected people of their time. They were a small group of men who lived a very moral life, and they tried to obey all the Old Testament rules and more, and they gained great respect from everyone around them because of the moral conduct. In other words, Nicodemus was a very moral guy. And if I'm honest here this morning, and if I can generalize our church, I think many of us here in this room are Pharisees, including myself. I remember before I got hired here at New Life back in 2016, I was just a young senior in college at Biola. I had a fresh comb-over fade with black earrings. And Pastor Will, seeing the appearance only, he wasn't sure if he should hire me. So he called my youth pastor back home, and he asked him, should I hire this guy? In other words, I think basically he was asking, is Paul the younger, licentious brother in the prodigal son parable? And I didn't know this until years later when he told me, but the reason that he hired me was, one, as an act of faith, he believed in sanctification, God can change me. But also, because my pastor told him, oh, he's not the younger brother. He's the older brother. He's the Pharisee of all the Pharisees. But all jokes aside, sisters and brothers, I think a lot of us, as much as we don't want to be associated with Pharisees, we're more similar to Pharisees than not. We know the gospel. We know that we're saved by grace alone, but deep inside our hearts, we still hold on to that false doctrine that somehow if you and I obey God more, he's going to love us more. Somehow that if we live a moral Ten Commandments following life, God is going to bless us more, and somehow if something goes wrong in our lives, what's the first thing we think of? Where did I mess up? What commandment did I break? Where did I sin that God is punishing me with this pain and suffering? But also we love the respect of other people, especially people here in this room, in this church. We want the respect of the members because we don't drink as much as they do, because we give more tithes and offerings than they do, because we serve more than they do, a lot closer to Nicodemus than you and I like to think. But not only does John describe Nicodemus as a Pharisee, he was also a ruler of the Jews. In other words, Nicodemus was a leader of the people, a member of the Sanhedrin, which is equivalent to the Senate of our government. He was a board member, he was a ruling elite, he was a Senate member. And even his name, Nicodemus, was a Greek name, although he was a Jew, because only wealthy, upper-class Jewish people named their children in Greek to show their wealth, their prestige, their power, and their status. In other words, Church Nicodemus wasn't just a man of the Pharisees, he was the man. He was the man that the world aspires to be. He was, he was respected, he was prestigious, he was rich, moral, powerful, everything the world praises, and again, if we're honest, everything that you and I aspire to be in this world. Success, money, power, even religion, spirituality. This guy, the man Nicodemus had it all, or at least he thought he did. Let's take a look at verse 2. This man, the man Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
this man who had everything that the world praises and desires comes at night to Jesus to challenge this teacher from God. And many commentators would say Nicodemus came under the cover of darkness because he didn't want to get found out by the other Pharisees, by the other rulers of the Jews, that such a high-status guy like Nicodemus would come find this carpenter-turned-rabbi named Jesus. But also, if, you're, if you look at what he's saying, he's saying, Jesus, I know a thing or two about God. I'm a Pharisee. I'm the ruling elite of all the Jews, and from the looks of it, from my perspective, from what I hear, I think God might be with you. And little did this man know that he was standing in the presence of God himself, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world. And it is to this moral, obedient, Ten Commandments following Pharisee, rich, powerful, religious guy like Nicodemus that Jesus says, you, Nicodemus, the man, must be born again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is seeing right through his heart. He's seeing right through all the rules of the Old Testament that Nicodemus has obeyed, which is far better than what you and I can do. He sees through all the status, the respect, the influence that Nicodemus has gathered all throughout his years, and he sees through Nicodemus's religiosity, his spirituality, and he says, you, the man who has it all, must be born again. And sisters and brothers, who, who comes to mind when I ask, who do you think must be born again? Maybe. The first person that comes to mind is that person that you know who may be heavily addicted to substance that really needs Jesus and must be born again. Maybe it's that person at work who is marching up the corporate ladder through shady tactics and methods that needs to be born again. Or for you New Life Youth students, it's that bully in your school, the mean one that must be born again. But Jesus is teaching us this morning that new birth is for both. Both the pharisaical older brother and the licentious younger brother must be born again. Both the law-abiding citizen and the prisoner in jail must be born again. Both the poor homeless person on the street addicted to substance, but also the upper middle class Orange County suburbanites must be born again. You see, friends, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. New birth is for both the moral and the immoral, and it also means whether you are the highest achieving, most successful person in this room, or you are the least successful, the most overlooked person in this room right now, you are never beyond the need for new birth, but you're also never beyond the reach of Jesus encountering you with new birth. Let's move on to our next question. If that is who must be born again, the next question is what is being born again? We can have a whole separate sermon and then a follow-up Bible study class on this doctrine of being born again or what we call regeneration. But let me try to unpack this briefly here, what Jesus means about being born again. Let's take a look at verses 3 through 5. Let me read it one more time for us. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How? Can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Some of us might read this verse and we think Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this ruler of the Jews, he doesn't know anything. He might be dumb. But that's not fair. I think it's safer to assume that actually Nicodemus understands what Jesus is saying. Right? He understands that Jesus is telling him, Nicodemus, I know you're the man, but you're not good enough to see the kingdom, to enter the kingdom. You must start over a totally different place from where you were born and what you've achieved. But Nicodemus knows it, but he also thinks, Jesus, you're going a little too far. You can't start over. No one can be born a second time. None of us can grow, go back into our mother's womb again. Does that mean, Jesus, no one can see the kingdom? Does that mean no one can enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus doesn't back down. He simply repeats verse 5, Truly, truly, Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You see, the big debate on this passage, even today in the church, is whether this being born of water symbolizes baptism. Or whether Jesus is telling us that you need to be born of the Spirit and then be baptized, and then you can see the kingdom. But without getting too much into it, most likely that this being born of water is not a metaphor for baptism, but it's another metaphor for the Spirit, for the Holy Spirit. In other words, being born of water and the Spirit is the same as being born again. Where do we see this? In the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 says this, God prophesies, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This church is new birth. This is what Jesus meant by saying, you must be born again, born of water and the Spirit. Ezekiel prophesied hundreds of years before this encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus that there is going to be a day in the future when there will be this transformative new beginning characterized by this cleansing by water that washes away all of our guilt, all of our shame, and that same Spirit characterized by water transforms the hearts of the people from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And Jesus is saying that is what you and I need to see the kingdom, to be born again. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, do you remember that time? You're a Pharisee, Nicodemus. You should know Ezekiel 36 by heart. That time has come. But you cannot see who's in front of you, what point in time of redemptive history you are standing in, because you must be born again. You need a complete transformation of the heart from the inside out. So church, what is being born again? Simply put, what is new birth? It's not trying to climb back into your mother's womb and getting a redo, a second chance to do it right this time as a Christian. It's not asking God for a second chance to give you a blank slate to now you can obey and try to hopefully keep a good record to see the kingdom and enter the kingdom. No, being born again is simply God breathing life into spiritually dead corpses like you and me and making us alive. It's God sprinkling the spirit like water to cleanse you, to transform you from the inside out, not outside and in. It's God removing your cold hearts of stone that wanted nothing to do with him 
that heart of stone that rejected him, that despised him, that denied him, that worshiped every other thing except for him, and giving us a new heart, a heart of flesh that is naturally bent on loving him because we have been loved. Or as Augustine put it, being born again is the Holy Spirit performing this heart surgery to reorder your loves. Because it's one thing to say that I know that God loves me, Paul. The Bible says that I just sang about it. I know that God loves me. That's one thing to say while the main thing that drives you in everyday decisions of your life is the love that you receive from your marriage, the love you see from work, from school, from the world. You see, before this new birth, before the Spirit transforms you from the inside out, the love of God, as you know in your head, is just an abstract thing. But once you are born again, that love of God becomes more real to you than the love that you receive from everyone else and everywhere else. You see, the new birth starts to reorder the loves of your heart because the things you have heard at church, the things you have read in the Bible that seem so far away, so impersonal, so abstract, slowly begins to become more real in your heart. And so you stop looking to your marriage to give you the love that you crave deep inside your heart because the love of God, the unconditional love, becomes real now in your heart. You stop looking to your status and influence and wealth, contrary to Nicodemus, and many of us in this room to give you the satisfaction and security that you long for deep inside your heart because now you are fully secure in who God says you are, not who the world tells you you must be. You stop looking to your own morality, how much good you do for others, how much you serve the church to give you meaning and purpose in life because, friends, when you are born again, you can finally find rest for your hearts and your souls in the perfect work of righteousness that Jesus has accomplished for you once and for all. You see, new birth is God taking away your old heart that wanted nothing to do with him and kingdom things and implanting in your new heart, a new heart that is now able to reorder all of your love for the first time, that with this new heart, you can begin to put God's love as the highest priority and all the other loves will fall right into place. So what is being born again before we go to our next point? It's, it means that you have new life. It's when the Holy Spirit gives you new birth, he changes your soul and your heart so that with a new mind and a new heart, you love God, you trust him, and you follow him freely and joyfully. The third question, this is the shortest point, how are you born again? Where if that's what new birth is, as Nicodemus asked in verse 9, how can these things be? How is this possible? We'll go through this quickly. Notice the imagery that Jesus uses in our passage, birth, being born. You know, I'm only 27, but I'm slowly realizing that I'm not as young as I thought I was because I'm starting to have friends around me that are starting to have children. I used to be the guy that was single and just do whatever I wanted, but now all my friends are having children. I just got married. And just a couple weeks ago, one of my closest friends and his wife from seminary just gave birth to their cute baby daughter, Maddie. And her name is uh, Madeline. And this baby Maddie did nothing on her own works to be born, right? She didn't have to time it with her mother to be born safely. Right? Baby Maddie didn't need to coordinate different positions in the womb to be born smoothly. She did absolutely nothing 
to be born. And I think that's the imagery that, that Jesus is giving us about new birth. That there is nothing that you and I can do, add, work towards to be born again. Right? You and I, friends, just like baby Maddie, must be born again and not give new birth to ourselves. Read with me verse 8. Jesus says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you are born again, if you are born of water and the Spirit, it's not that you made a decision to finally follow Jesus and accept the heart of flesh that God promised you in Ezekiel. Instead, your spiritual new birth, being born again, is wholly the work of God, completely alone. Leon Morris, the commentator, he says, Entry into the kingdom is not by way of human striving. You and I don't work for this. But by that rebirth, which only God can affect. Sisters and brothers, the passage is clear. How can you be born again? You cannot work your way into salvation. You cannot achieve yourself into new birth. There is no amount of money, no amount of good works and morals that you can pay for your eternal life. If I can put it this way, you cannot Nicodemus your way into salvation. It is from the very beginning to the very end, entirely God's work to save you, to transform your hearts from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. But let's move on to our last point. Let's bring it closer to home now. All the stuff that we've talked about, let's apply it to our lives. How do you know? How do you know that you're born again? You know, there are many fruits that you bear once you're, being, once you're born again, but I want to focus on two main immediate results and effects of being born again, which is repentance and faith. You see, when you are born again, immediately it will produce in you repentance and faith for the very first time. John Murray once wrote, Being born again is the beginning of all saving grace in us, and all saving grace and exercise on our part proceeds from the fountain of regeneration, being born again. We're not born again by faith or repentance or conversion. We repent. We believe because we have been born again. Look with me in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus, out of the blue, he's already being weird with his answers to Nicodemus, but here he mentions this biblical account from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament where God sent fiery, poisonous serpents to the sinful people of Israel in the wilderness. Essentially, what God was trying to teach was that the poison, the venom of the snakes, represented the sins in the people's hearts that were actually killing them spiritually. And what did God do? He commanded Moses to make a bronze serpent on a pole, and he commanded them not to walk to the pole, not to touch the bronze serpent, not to rub your wound on the bronze serpents, but he simply commanded the Israelites to look upon the serpent. And Jesus is saying here in our passage, friends, just as the Israelites had to look up to the bronze serpents lifted on a pole. Anyone, anyone who wants eternal life must look at the Son of Man lifted up on the cross. And the good news is this, church, that you don't even have to lift a finger to look, do you? You don't have to be morally good to look at Jesus. 
You don't have to earn a six-figure salary in order to look to Jesus. You don't have to have all the approval of your family and, and your friends and the world to look. You don't need to be the most beautiful, the most good-looking, the most successful person to look. All you need to do is just look. And if we're honest, friends, even as regular churchgoers, or maybe some of you in this room are skeptical of the faith or don't believe in this Christianity thing, in our human nature that is sinful and that is broken, you and I are always waiting for someone to tell you to earn for salvation, whatever that might mean for you. To do a hundred different things, to have eternal joy, to have deep satisfaction and meaning in life, because isn't that all religion in the world? Where Islam says you must obey the words of the prophet to get into heaven. Buddhism says you must deny all good pleasures to reach the state of nirvana. Karma says you must do good to others so that you can be reincarnated to a better life. And atheism says you must fully accept and love yourself. Be successful in a career that if it doesn't feel like work, have X amount of money to bring you happiness and security. You must make the most of your life here and now because that's all you got. But Christianity, the gospel of Jesus, is the only religion that tells you, stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at yourself for the strength and the discipline to obey. Stop looking at yourself for self-control to reach nirvana. Stop looking at yourself to gain deep satisfaction and meaning and purpose in your life. Instead, the gospel says, stop looking to yourself. Look up. Look up to Jesus, the Son of Man, lifted up on the cross. And the question I have for you, friends, is where have you been looking to save yourself? Have you been looking to save yourself through reputation, through money, through romance, through career, perhaps even your own morality? You see, when you look to Jesus and you truly encounter the real Jesus, and you are truly born again by nothing you have done, but only by what he has completed in your heart, it's going to bring about true repentance. And that's how you know that you're born again. I'm not talking about just saying repentance as in, God, I'm sorry for all the bad things that I've done, but also true repentance that says, God, I'm sorry not only for the bad things that I've done, but even all the good things that I've done to save myself. That's true repentance. You see, true repentance is admitting that you are utterly dead in your sins and that you are utterly in need of God's grace to save you from trying to save yourself. But lastly, what about faith? We talked about earlier how a newborn participates in no active way. It's completely passive when it's born because it's all on the mother. Now, I remember talking to Sally, and we still talk to, talk to each other about this. Uh, God willing, Lord willing, if we do ever have children... Uh, I'm not really good with hospitals, blood, gore, can't do any of that. So I told her, probably shouldn't have, but I told her, I don't know if I can be in the delivery room with you. I'm not sure I'll make it there. One, because I'll probably pass out before I get there. I will pass out when I'm in there. So why would, why would you want me in there? And she says, you better be there. I'm going through all the pain. You're doing nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm in all the pain, all the struggles. You better be there. So I will be there. But the point is, the newborn is born at the cost of the mother's care, the mother's pain, the mother's effort and work and love. And it's the same with your spiritual new birth. You and I may not work 
or add to anything to be born again because it was all at the cost of someone else for you and I to be born again. It was at the cost of your God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So their sisters and brothers in Christ, their visitors who may even struggle perhaps with your faith, who don't want to encounter this Jesus, let me ask you, do you want deeper meaning and purpose in life? Do you want this shalom, this wholeness and perfect peace that you can have even in the most anguishing and painful moment of your life? Do you want more than what death is going to bring to you in 20, 30, 40 years from now? Do you want this costly, sacrificial, unconditional, full of grace kind of love that nothing in this world can ever compare or even offer you? The good news of Jesus is you don't have to lift a finger. All you need to do is stop looking to yourself to save yourself, but truly repent. And as Tim Keller says, believe. Look to the costly grace of Jesus and rest in it. Don't move on from his costly grace. Don't graduate from his grace. Stay there for the rest of your life to see that it's his works that have saved us. That's faith. That's believing. That's resting in Jesus alone. In short, how can you tell you've been born again? It begins with true repentance and faith leads to a lifelong journey of radical change. In other words, friends, be ready for this. Once you are born again, you can never be the same. You will never be the same. If you go to the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 19, the same book that we just read, we see Nicodemus come again. This time he comes with Joseph of Arimathea after the crucifixion of Jesus. The same Nicodemus who was ashamed and came in the cover of darkness to find Jesus now comes boldly and says, I want Jesus' dead body so I can personally dress him for a burial. It was the same Nicodemus who believed that his morality, his career, his reputation as a Pharisee was his one-way ticket into heaven who risked all that he had, all that he achieved, and asked for the body of the criminal who executed, who was executed by Rome at the, fellow, at the request of his fellow Pharisees. You see, we don't know for sure, and we can't say for sure that Nicodemus was saved and born again, but this transformation that happens after encountering Jesus is pretty telling. Because no longer is Nicodemus enslaved to his fear of his fellow Pharisees and what the public will think. He is now free and bold enough to publicly do what back then only women and slaves did, personally dress the corpse. He is no longer the same Nicodemus who hides in the cover of darkness, but perhaps a born-again Nicodemus who has truly seen the light of the world when he looked up and saw the Son of Man hanging on the cross for a whole transformation and a new birth in him. So friends, when you are born again, The gospel of Jesus will humble you like no other because it tells you you can do nothing to save yourself. Because even your best works, even your best success credentials are not enough to see and enter the kingdom of God. But that same gospel will give you a much more profound, unshakable identity and joy in knowing that that same God now calls you and me his beloved, his son, his daughter, because of what he has done on the cross for you. Let me finish with two quick exhortations. We'll end the message there. 
First encouragement and exhortation that I have is for anyone in this room who may not have encountered Jesus yet. Anyone in this room who may be still struggling to accept and believe in Jesus, perhaps you might be the one that's seeking Jesus in the cover of darkness. If that is you today, friends, I want to ask you, all these years that you have lived, have you found your ultimate purpose and meaning in life? Have you found deep satisfaction and the feeling of being loved and known and fully accepted in the things or the people of this world yet? Or do you want to experience a love that never fails, approval that never falls short, a joy that never runs out? Do you want that? You don't have to work. You don't have to achieve. Just look. Look to Jesus, the Son of Man, hanging on the cross. You must be born again. And in him, you're going to find everything that you've been looking for and so much more. But secondly, if you have encountered Jesus today, and you have been born again, and you've been attending church, you've given generously, you serve the church freely, but you just can't seem to break the cycle of trying to save yourself with romance, with money, with achievement, with success, and your good morals, and how much you love God and how much you serve the church. The encouragement is the same to you, sisters and brothers. Don't be discouraged, but you must stop looking to yourself. Look up. Look to Jesus, the Son of Man, hanging on the cross, and rest. Stay there. Stay in his costly grace for you. And you, too, will find everything that you need and so much more in this life and the next. Let's pray. Our God, who loved us so much that you have given us your only son, that even to people that constantly cannot get out from trying to save ourselves, you have given your only son so that all we have to do is look to the cross of Jesus, what he has accomplished for us in his death and in his resurrection. And so God, I pray for all those who are born again here in this room that you would remind us the good news that even when we mess up, even when we fail you, your call isn't condemnation. Your call is grace and a welcome. It tells us, invites us to look to you again. And I pray especially for those of us in this room who may not know you yet, who have not encountered you for this radical transformation that you have in store for them. Father, I pray that you would open up their hearts, that you would take away the heart of stone and implant in them a heart of flesh. And may they taste and see and experience the goodness of your son and the grace and the mercy and the love that they have never encountered before. We thank you for who you are and for, the, for your son, in whose name we pray. Amen.